We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So we're in Haggai 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 10. And I'm going to read through 19, and then we'll pray. Haggai 2.10, the word of God. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, remember, that's the dude who reigns over the Persian Empire who's in control of them right now. So this is a specific date. We're placing this in history. This is real, factual, historical. It happened, right? On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. And he says this, this is what the Lord of armies says. Ask the priests for a ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it become holy? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? The priest answered, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai replied, so is this people and so is this nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration. And so is every work of their hands, even what they offer there is defiled. Now from this day on, think carefully. Before one stone was placed on another in the Lord's temple, what state were you in? When someone came to a grain heap of 20 measures and it only amounted to 10. When one came to the wine press to dip 50 measures from the vat, it only amounted to 20. I struck you, all the works of your hands, with blight, mildew, and hail, but you didn't turn to me. This is the Lord's declaration. From this day on, Think carefully. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day of the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, think carefully. Is there still seed left in the granary? The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet produced. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would bless us through your word this morning that your spirit would be speaking to us, ministering to us, opening up our hearts and minds and ears to receive. God, that we would be blessed by you because of your word and because of the presence of your spirit, because of your glory, and because of the work of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. So a few weeks ago, I was at Cultivate at the coffee shop and I was getting ready to leave after roasting and doing some other work there. But before I left, one of our baristas said, hey, hold on, Chris, before you go, there's somebody who's been in the restroom for a long time, and I don't know what to do about it. Like, other customers are like, hey, like, what's going on? Can we get in there? Um, I, I don't know if they're okay. And I was like, well, did you try knocking on the door? Like, yeah. I was like, did you hear a response? Yeah, okay, so they're okay. Just write it out, man. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. I'm not going in there. Right? And so I was like, good luck, I'm out of here. <laughs> and then I got stopped by someone else who was just talking with me, a friend that I ran into. And while I was talking to this friend, the person came out of the restroom. And so that made me feel a lot better. I was like, good, I could leave now and not feel like too much of a jerk. Right? Uh, and then someone else went in there and quickly came back out. And this customer came up to me 
and said, hey, uh, you might want to go take a look in there. So I walk in, and it was explosive. Uh, All over the toilet, all over the floor, all over the wall. Not coffee. All right, I'm talking about something else. All over the place. And I was like, well, good luck, guys. <laughs> no, I was like, hey, this is uh, part of the thing about being an owner and not a, not a worker, right? Like, I got to take care of this. Plus, they're making people's food. And I was like, let me just keep your hands away from this, right? So I went in there with a bunch of bleach and a, like three sets of gloves on my hands and a bunch of <laughs> paper towels and got to work. Let me tell you, like, it spreads before it goes away. I know I normally tell, like, funny stories about my kids when we get started in this stuff, but, like, sorry, sorry for this story, but I want you to get that visual. I want you to see this in your brain right now, okay? It spreads, and everything that I touched it with, it spread onto that, Right? It was nasty. I had to take like seven showers before I felt like I could touch any food after that. Like I washed my hands several times before I left. Um, it, it, it's one of those things like it, it lingers with you, right? It lingers. And I'm like, why do my hands still smell this way? I've bleached them. <laughs> but I don't know if it's in your brain or what it is, but like it, it lingers. And I want us to have that picture because I think that's kind of the message that God's getting across right now is that actually, you know, dirty things will spread onto clean things. It's not so easy for clean things to spread onto dirty things, right? Like it just doesn't work that way. Dirty things will spread though. And, and in the context of what's going on here, God actually, he, through Haggai, he tells him, go to the priests because they're the ones who were at the temple. Their role was to help determine what was clean and not clean. And those are the words we got there were consecrated and defiled. Uh, defiled just means, uh, easier way of saying that, not clean. Consecrated is actually like the set apart for the Lord, but it would have need to be clean. And the context of what they're talking about there is God had told his people long ago that there was a certain way that you could come and approach him at the temple. There is a certain way that you could come and approach him even in the presence of the community of God's people. And there were some things that would make you not clean or defiled to where you had to back off for a moment and make sure you went through the process of being clean again before you entered back in. Now, this wasn't a punishment. In a lot of cases, this was actually just a natural thing, right? Like, I had to get very clean before I went to go help make dinner that night. That's a natural consequence of touching something that's unclean. And so this would be a lot of things were uh, bodily fluids. If you at any point touched blood or any type of fluid that came out of a person's body or a dead corpse, that was considered defiled or unclean. Now, your bodily fluids are good when they're inside your body, right? They're doing what they're supposed to do. When they come out of your body, there's something not right about that, something kind of unnatural. And in a sense, what it was pointing to, especially things like blood coming out of your body, that shouldn't happen. That's pointing to 
the, the breakdown and decay of our bodies. Death. It's a reminder that because of rebellion against God from the very beginning, from the first humans in the garden, because of that rebellion from the one who gives life, now all of our bodies have entered into this decaying process where they're breaking down and ultimately will result one day in death for every single one of us. And that that is not what God designed, and that's part of why they were sent away from his presence. But God made a way for them to be made clean and consecrated or set aside for God so that they could draw near to him. And so he gave them just these things like, hey, this is how many days you need for this defilement. These are what the rituals you go through in order to get clean. And here's what you got to do. So it wasn't, it wasn't a legalistic type of punishment, like shame on you, you touched that. You know, uh-oh, you, you scraped your knee and there's some blood and then someone else accidentally got it on them. Bad on you, right? Like, no, it wasn't that. It was God actually creating a way for you to just be made clean again. And so he tells Haggai, go to the priests. They're the ones who actually have been given this role of helping the people understand what is clean, what is not clean. And just ask them this question. When something not clean, when it's defiled, touches something clean, what happens? And they rightly answer. Like they score 100% on their test. It gets dirty. It's not clean anymore. When something clean touches something else, does it make it clean? And they rightly answer, no. It doesn't work that way. This, only, this transaction only goes one way. You can't take something that's been consecrated and made clean and then start rubbing it on everything, right? Like bleach, and then it becomes clean again. It doesn't work that way. Which is why the very last phrase of this passage that we read today is shocking. Because God says, okay, good, you understand how that works? Let me tell this about you. You people are the same. That's what he says. He says, so it is with my people. You've come out of Babylon, an unclean nation, an unclean people, a a people that worship all kinds of other gods and idols. And many of you have worshiped those idols while you were there. Some of you tried bringing those idols with you when you came back here into Jerusalem. You have been made unclean. And now, when you come and you lay your hands to building up the temple, everything you touch should be unclean too, right? And he says, I want you to think about what's been happening so far in your recent history. Like anytime you go to get some grain and there's less grain than there should be. Anytime you go to get some fruit from the vine and there's less crop than there should be. That's because I did that, God says. And this sounds like really harsh, doesn't it? It's not like a super feel-good Sunday morning message. God's like, I did that to you. I struck you with blight and mildew and lack so that you would not have because you willingly, in many cases, made yourselves unclean by worshiping false gods. Not just, oh, I accidentally touched something but you were like covering yourselves in the customs and the ways of a wicked people instead of being the people set apart, consecrated, to show the rest of the nations what a good, clean God is like. 
And so because of that, there's been consequences to it. And, and so he says that like the things you touch should be defiled too. And here they are rebuilding the temple that God's glory would live in. The first week we talked about Haggai, I asked this question. What is the thing that you're building in your life, right? These people were, were building their own homes instead of the temple of God. And the question we had is like, what are we building? What, what are we trying to develop and, and build up in our lives to make it count? Are we building up things for ourselves or are we building into the kingdom that God has called us into? The second week we talked about, they were discouraged. They're like, we're building the thing God asked us to build, but it doesn't look great. And God's encouragement was, no, no, it's gonna be great because my glory will be there. And so that question that week for us was, hey, maybe some of you, you are trying to build into the kingdom. You are doing the things God has called you to and it doesn't seem like it's working. It doesn't look like it's producing the results you would desire and so there was that encouragement to us. Like, God doesn't care about what it looks like on the outside. When God's presence is there, his glory will fill it, right? This week, maybe some of us are sitting here and we're hearing this and we're going, I don't know if I'm clean enough to enter into that work. Like, do you know the things I've done? The things I've touched? the things I've thought, the stuff on the inside of me? Does God even want me near his work? Can I come and approach what he's called us to? And this is kind of what God's pointing out to the Israelites. They really have no business laying their hands on building his temple. And yet, this shocking surprising moment comes in, in verse 19. God says this to them. As there's still seed left in the granary, the vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet produced, but, one of the most beautiful words, but from this day on, I will bless you. Had they done anything to become consecrated yet? Had they purified themselves yet? Had they gone through the steps, the legalistic steps for God to say, okay, you deserve this. It's in stark contrast to everything he just laid out for them. In spite of all that, I will bless the work you do on this temple and my glory will fill this place. That's what God says. And the, the things he's calling out there, it sounds like random, like, okay, there's vines and figs. I'm like, what, what is he talking about, right? It's not random. In Deuteronomy 8, when God's telling them about the promised land he's going to bring them into of Canaan, there are seven things he lists. It's wheat, barley, the vine or uh, grapes, you know, the fig, pomegranate, olives, and honey. And this has actually become the early, like, ancient Jewish tradition. These things became called the seven species. And there's, like, all kinds of, like, diets and recipes out there you could find for that, too. Uh, but these are things that they would look to to remind themselves. It's Deuteronomy 8.8, 8, if you want to look for that. To remind themselves of God's blessing for them. 
These were the seven things promised. And when, and when they went to go look into this promised land and some spies went in to go check it out, they came back with pomegranates and said, hey, look, God wasn't lying. This is the place. The blessing is there. And so God right here is calling back the granary, right? Think of the wheat and the barley, the vine, the fig, the pomegranate, the olive tree. They haven't produced for you. You haven't experienced that blessing because you've been in Babylon. And because when you've been here, you've still been living like the Babylonians. But that same thing I promised to your forefathers, to your ancestors of blessing, God's like, I haven't given up on that. I'm still going to come through. And you hear all that and you go, that's amazing. Like, that's a good God. In spite of them not being clean, he's still going to bless them. He's going to make them clean. But wait a second, don't we have a problem here in the story? Like, the logic doesn't seem to fit. God just laid out why this doesn't work. Did he just change his mind? But we remember, this is a God who always made a way for them to become clean when they were ritually unclean. And I want us to skip ahead in the story for a moment. Let's go to Luke Chapter 8, we'll have this up on the screen. This is when Jesus was approached by someone who said, my daughter is dying, would you come and heal her before she dies? And so Jesus starts making his way with this man, Uh, but there's a bunch of crowds who have come out to see Jesus and hear from Jesus, and they've heard that he can heal and he could do amazing things. And so they're all pressing in on him. They're all, it's so tight, right? It's like Disneyland at its worst day, and you're like, shoulders to shoulders, packed in, right? And suddenly, Jesus feels someone touch him. And his disciples are like, well, of course you did, Jesus. Like, look around you. So let's just hear the story. It's, it's amazing. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. What did we say about bodily fluids? Clean or unclean? Blood coming out of her body. She's considered unclean. She would have been ostracized from community. She wouldn't have been allowed to come near let alone touch anybody. But she hears that Jesus might be able to save her. He might be able to heal her and make her clean again so that she could be around friends and family, so that she could possibly get married. She could have someone provide for her and not be alone outside of the camp. So she comes near. She has spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any. She approached from behind and touched the end of Jesus' robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. Now, hold on for a second. You might think Jesus is really concerned with being touched by someone unclean because what did we learn about how that transaction Goes. It only goes one way, right? When the unclean touches the clean, it becomes unclean. If she had touched Peter, Peter would have had to go remove himself from community for a number of days until he was considered clean again. He would have had to wash, present himself to the priests at the temple, and they go, okay, you're good. If she had touched any of the other disciples, any of the other people in the crowd, same thing. And so you're wondering, like, why does Jesus care so much about someone in particular touching him? There's a crowd around him, and it's probably because he knows this person's unclean. He says, I know that power has gone out from me. 
When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Complete reversal, right? Suddenly there's someone clean who can touch the unclean and transfer cleanness to them. Guess what? That's not possible in the history of humanity. There has to be something unique and distinct about this. Jesus, because he is actually the very source of who makes us clean. The God who in Haggai 2 can say, even though you have been unclean, I will bless you and I will allow you to build my temple. God, the source of all things clean and good, showed up in a man. And when someone considered unclean touched him, instead of him becoming unclean, she becomes clean. And immediately after that, if we keep reading that story, someone runs up and they're like, hey, that little girl you're going to go save and heal, it's too late, she's dead. Dead corpses were one of the most unclean things in their culture. And Jesus goes and he touches her. And he says, little girl, get up. And instead of Jesus being unclean, this girl not only becomes clean, she is filled with life and she gets up. Jesus, another time in uh, Mark 7, if you were to look in there, sorry, Chad, I don't have this on the screen. In Mark 7, Jesus and his disciples are eating. And I don't know if they like didn't wash their hands first or what. Hopefully they didn't clean the bathroom I cleaned beforehand, but they were considered unclean. And some people, some, some Pharisees standing around, teachers of the law, they're like, whoa, 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 how are you letting your disciples eat like that? It's defiled. And Jesus has this whole exchange with them where he says, the things outside coming into you aren't what defile you. And he actually says, it's going to pass through anyway. I love that. Jesus just like, he just, he's real, you know? Hey, the stuff you put in your body, it's going to come right out anyway. So it does, that's not what defiles you. He says, what defiles you is the stuff that's inside that comes out. What's going on inside your heart? What, what's going on inside your head? And that's the question again we get back to because we go, yeah, the stuff inside of me, doesn't that disqualify me from coming near God? No, this woman who was considered unclean came near Jesus when she knew she was defiled. At the risk of, I mean, she could have been stoned to death touching all these people as she moved through this crowd. She knew exactly what she was risking. At the cost of her own life, she said, this is the only way I actually find real life. I'm tired of living on the outskirts. I'm tired of being set aside and cast off. I'm tired of being considered unclean. And so what was inside of her is the thing that Jesus said actually healed her, a faith. Yeah, yeah, I, I know I look unclean. I know people have called me unclean. And I, and I know I'm not perfect, but I know if I get to this Jesus here, he can make me clean. He can make me whole. And Jesus said, that thing that came out of her, that's what made her clean. A trust and a faith in Jesus being the one who could save her. If we have, a, I think I have a couple more verses up there, Chad. In Hebrews, 
Remember I said we're going we're to do a series in Hebrews later this year, which I'm super excited about. It has a lot of temple imagery, uh, which we're talking about the temple in Haggai now. But what we're told in Hebrews 13, verse 12, is that Jesus suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. What does that mean? What they would do when they were making sacrifices to be considered clean again is you'd have to spill the blood from an animal. And now remember, dead carcass, not clean. So what would they do is they would take the carcass of the animal they were sacrificing and move it outside the city gates and burn it. It's unclean. Get it away from here. And the author of Hebrews is reminding us that Jesus was hung and buried outside of the gates of the city. That his blood is what makes us clean, but he, in the process, in, in a sense, was considered unclean in order for that to happen. That transference took place. That Jesus, moving toward us, he took on being unclean so that we could become purified and be made clean. And it says right there at the end of that, so that, sorry, he might sanctify the same exact word for consecrate. That's used in Haggai the people by his own blood. Now we can go to the next verse. Paul writes this too in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. It says, he's listing a whole list of things that we do that make us unclean. And he says, some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified or consecrated. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Jesus is the very source of, of what makes us clean and able to go before God. Yes, we don't have a temple anymore that we go approach. We don't have to go through these rituals to get there because Jesus has now said, I reside in you. The glory of God, the spirit of God resides in his people. So we become the temple. And we don't have to worry about can we come near because the sacrifice is Jesus himself. And through his blood, we are clean. And so if you are still wondering, am I clean enough to come near to Jesus? Am I clean enough to put my hands to the work God has called me to? In Jesus, 100% yes. You have been made clean. You have been made whole. God, again, let me read this to you. What God says to his people, despite all that, but on this day on, I will bless you. He's welcoming them back into the promise he gave to his ancestors. And you and I are welcomed into that promise too. That we can actually not only be made clean, but blessed, experience the blessing of God and what he has promised because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And yes, you are called to put your hands to the work of his mission as the temple now moving out, not not this building that people have to come and travel to, but living stones, the temple of God, his people, moving out to the unclean and dark places of our communities. And we don't have to fear that, oh, if we get too close to that, we'll be defiled because Jesus, his presence, his spirit is with us and what he touches is made clean, amen? So we get to go as his priests, and declare, you can be clean in Jesus. And so I hope my prayer is that each of us heard that this morning. You can be clean in Jesus, sanctified, 
consecrated, set aside for him, acceptable. But my prayer is also twofold, that we would hear, we now get to go out and share that good news with other people. You get to be made clean in Jesus. Let's pray.